Okay, well, let's take our Bibles this morning. Looking forward to getting to Matthew chapter number 24. If you would stand in honor of God's word, Matthew in chapter number 24. <clears throat> last time we were in the gospel of Matthew, uh, which we had Brother McCracken here last Sunday. It was a real blessing. And I encourage you, if you missed those messages, go back and listen to them. It'd be a great help to preach on the prodigal son in the morning and the prodigal son's brother that night. It was just... It was excellent. And so uh, that was last Sunday. So um, a little bit ago, we were in Matthew 23 about behind the mask of religion and how the Jews, uh, the Pharisees in particular, in fact, uh, the subtitle for that message was you can't judge a Pharisee by his cover um, because they put on a good facade. But it's not just Pharisees that tend to do that. We as independent fundamental Baptists can do that as well. And put on a good facade and yet things not really be right. Well, uh, we ought not be a facade. We ought to be the reality. What, what does God require? What does God want of us to, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with the Lord, our, our God. And so we were considering that. So there's a definite connection between chapter 23 and chapter 24. And I hope to point that out as we get into it. But right now, let's just read our text, which would be Matthew 24. It's known as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, the Lord's last message to his disciples um, in the sense of uh, being with them. Now, we're going to have the upper room discussion and such, but this is a lengthy message, we'd say. And so it's going to take us a bit to get through chapter 24 and 25. And so I want you to look at this here with me now in verse number one. And Jesus went out <clears throat> and departed from the temple. Read that again. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Really, that's a sad statement when you take in consideration what had happened since chapter 21 when he came into the temple area from the Mount of Olives. Chapter 21, verse 1 says he was in the Mount of Olives and made his way down and across the Kedron Valley and into the Eastern Gate and into the Temple Mount area. It was chapter 21, verse 1. Now he departs from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. They were impressed, right? Lord, have you seen these stones, the temple? Well, they'd been there before. I, I thought about it. I wonder what prompted this. But you know, I know me and sometimes things just hit me. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, it may have been the discussion with the Pharisees and what was going on. Lord, but you see the beauty of the temple. And Jesus says, yes, I see, but you don't see it like I see it. And not one stone will be left. Verse three, <clears throat> and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? In other words, when is that going to happen that the temple is going to be destroyed? You get it? When shall these things be? And they go on, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world. 
All right, so three things really. Just rapid fire, boom, 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 boom. Okay, now I thought the end of the world had come about last night. I mean, I thought I wasn't going to get to preach this message the way those storms came in. Oh, my soul. I thought, all right, this is it right here. All right, end of the world. Well, it wasn't. Here we are. Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. I'm the Messiah. I am Christ and shall deceive many. That's sad right there, right? And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that ye be not troubled. Don't be anxious. Be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. Notice what Jesus says in verse 8, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. Literally the beginning of birth pangs. The beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now don't, don't misunderstand that verse. Jesus is not there teaching a works-based faith. That would contradict everything in the Bible and contradict and find the face of grace. No, uh, we're saved by grace through faith. But what he's saying here is that, uh, that if genuinely you've been saved, then there's going to be evidence of that that would last to the end. Look at verse 14 now. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, don't misunderstand that verse, all right, while we're at it. Don't think, well, as soon as we get done preaching, then Jesus will come again by the rapture. That's not what this verse is saying. There's nothing that has to happen for the rapture to take place. That's the next step of prophecy. It's imminent, meaning it could happen at any time. All right, so the title of the message here this morning is this, Christ's view from the Mount of Olives. The vantage point that Jesus had, the Christ, the Messiah, the King. Our series is entitled, Jesus is King. Amen. I thought about calling it the King's View of, from the Mount of Olives. But let's, let's just stick with the title that's in the bulletin for the time being. <laughs> Christ's View from the Mount of Olives, part one. Part one. Don't be so impressed with that which is under judgment. Don't be so impressed with that which is marked or under judgment. May God bless the reading of his word as we consider the words of our Savior. You may be seated. I must say that one of my favorite parts of our trip to the Holy Land in this past April was, was the Mount of Olives. 
I probably gain more in terms of geography and perspective uh, from that vantage point than, uh, than other, other sites, perhaps. I mean, it, it all was a geography lesson. But it's probably the view of the old city of Jerusalem that you're most familiar with. It's situated as a mountain range, um, uh, multiple summits on the east side of Jerusalem. So you're the western slope, you would make your way down and, and you'd be going in from the eastern side. You're seeing the eastern gate. You come down from the Mount of Olives and you come to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just below the Mount of Olives. And then you pass over the Kidron Valley and then you actually go right in. Well, it's walled up now, the eastern gate. And uh, then you're going into the Temple Mount. I'm more about that in just a moment. But it's a mountain range there, uh, summits. Um, uh, the southern summit is about 2,652 feet in elevation from sea level. Uh, that'd be the southern summit. The northern peak where Mount Scopus is now, Hebrew U University, um, the hospital that's there, the Rothschild Hadassah Hospital, I believe it's called, a rather large hospital complex. I, I, I'm a little bit more familiar with it now because where our hotel was situated was just down the road from it. So I went on a run and, and just made one wrong turn and ended up in an Arab section, got out of there uh, pretty quick, but uh, then was able to make my way and found the Mount of Olives. So it's really amazing because, you know, as it once was covered with a lot of olive trees, obviously, and that's why it's called the Mount of Olives. And, and, um, but that southern, I'm sorry, that northern peak is about 2,694 feet tall. And, and so, but you're looking over and it's a beautiful vantage point as you're looking over, over the whole city, the old city of Jerusalem and seeing that beyond that, the modern city of Jerusalem. It's breathtaking. I'll never forget uh, coming into Jerusalem and uh, our guide put over the uh, bus intercom the song Jerusalem. Uh, Miss Dolores Ridley used to sing it here uh, many years ago. Beautiful song. I haven't heard it in a good while. I hadn't heard it until then. But I saw uh, the bus just kind of went quiet. Seeing Jerusalem for the first time. <laughs> um, it's a significant place there, that Mount of Olives. I want to tell you just a little bit more about it. Um, 2 Samuel 15, David went over the Mount of Olives, fleeing from Absalom. Unfortunately, Solomon built in the high places, including there in the Mount of Olives area, pagan temples. But in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, number 4, Jesus is coming again in power and great glory. Now, I'm not talking about the rapture at that point, but the scripture is talking about his second coming. For those that might be new to the Bible and such, well, Jesus came the first time and he came to suffer for our sins. And he was crucified on a cross and he was buried in a tomb and he rose again. In fact, he ascended from the Mount of Olives. I'm telling you, we're talking about a very significant place here this morning. And he ascended back uh, to to heaven from the Mount of Olives in that region of Bethany. And, and uh, his disciples were standing there watching him go up. And the angels asked him, why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus that, that went into the heavens shall come again in like manner. And he's going to come, friend, in power and great glory. The Bible says that he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to split. It's going to go east and west. It's a powerful moment. Zechariah 14, verse 4. We don't have time for it here this morning. But that'll just get you all fired up if you get to studying it. Okay, he's coming to set up his kingdom. 
And so it was a very, very significant place. I, I can't think of a more significant place for Jesus to have the discussion with his disciples that he's going to have as, as they, are made, they made their way up there. And, and you know, as a, as a kid, if I could, could kind of add this, as a kid, we played a game called King of the Mountain. How many of you have ever played King of the Mountain? You know, where you, I've got a particular, uh, oh my soul, I think everybody did. So that's, that's great. You know what I'm talking about. But we had a particular little uh, hill and kind of had a, two big uh, trees, big oak trees. And, and uh, you know, they were grown close together. And so my brother and I, I mean, we were the only ones in our neighborhood. And so we played King of the Mountain. So, you know, you'd be up there and you got those two trees. And the object was to pull your brother down and just get him down from the mountain. And so anyways, that was our our pretty rough version of the King of the Mountain. Mom and Dad didn't ever know about that. I may be telling them myself right here. She watches these, these uh, services. But anyways, uh, that was our King of the Mountain. Well, I, I don't know of any other King of the Mountain fight that's more uh, vicious and more um, long-lasting than the Temple Mount area. I don't mean to make light of it, but basically that's what you have going on. As, as you're there on the Mount of Olives and you're looking at you're looking at the Dome of the Rock. How many of you are familiar with that? The Dome of the Rock, the Muslim. Um, it's not actually a functioning mosque. It's, anyways, it's, it's just there. There's another mosque that's, that's across from it, but the Golden Dome. I mean, it's really what Jerusalem is known as. But, but really, I need, I need to tell you, and many of you know this, but that is the most contested part of real estate on the planet. It is. I mean, battles have been fought there and, 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 uh, uh, and, and just uh, an incredible piece of real estate. But it, this goes back to when God told Abraham to take Isaac to offer him up on the mountain. It was called Mount Moriah, but that's the same mountain. It's the same area. It was a, a mound, as a mountain that was there. And so they, they eventually, uh, it was the threshing floor that David bought from Ar, uh, Ar Aruna and, and bought it from their Ornan. And, and he has a couple of different names that are in scripture. But anyways, it's the same place. And, and then it was that place that Solomon would build the temple as they would build the ground up and build that beautiful, magnificent temple that, that the Queen of Sheba would see. And she said, the half had not been told me. And the, the splendor and the glory of that first temple. And yet because of their sin, then God destroyed the temple through the Babylonians. And, and it was burned and it was destroyed. And, and yet under Zerubbabel, then it was rebuilt. And, and then under Herod the Great, in his own mind, the great part. Herod the Great, no others called him Herod the Great because of all he did for the Jews. Now, he was from Esau, so he was a half-brother, you know, of the, of the Jews, basically. And, and yet he didn't really care about the Jews. He cared about himself. He wanted to build big edifices for his namesake. And so he took what they had built under Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, and he elaborated on it. So it's known as Herod's Temple. That's the temple that Jesus would have been in. Well, in AD 70, we're going to get to this. I'm going to retract some of this in just a moment. But in AD 70, the Romans just flattened. I'm just telling you, they, they took it all the way down to the ground. Not one stone was left upon another. Not one stone. It happened just like Jesus said it would. And he gave that prophecy 40 years at least prior to that event. And, and so then after that, then you have maybe the Greeks that built a temple there and then others that have built a temple. But now, now the Dome of the Rock is there and the Jews don't like that. I'm telling you, it's a contested place. And so eventually Jesus will come again. He will come back to the Mount of Olives. He will cross the Kedron Valley. He will go through the, through the Eastern Gate. Now, the, <laughs> is this making sense to everybody? 
the, the Muslims so despise the Jews that they have buried their dead in front of the Eastern Gate because they believe, actually the Jews believe, that their Messiah will come to the Mount of Olives and that he will come to that Eastern Gate. And so they're looking very much forward to that day. In fact, in, in one of their battles, it may have been the Six-Day War or maybe, no, 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 wait a minute. It was during even the Persian Gulf War when, when missiles were being fired, the Jews went to the Western Wall and were praying that, that those rockets that were coming in might take out the Dome of the Rock. Because they want to build their new temple there. And so they have buried, the Muslims have buried their dead there in front of the Eastern Gate because they believe no Jew would pass over those Muslim graves and defile themselves. But listen, friend, we've got a King of Kings and a Lord of Lords who will come again and will pass right over those through that Eastern Gate and will set up his kingdom. Mercy sakes alive. That's the Bible, friend. I'm not making this up. I don't even understand everything I'm telling you, but I'm telling you that it's in the Bible. And so this is where Jesus is having this discussion with his disciples. Now, uh, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are very key passages for understanding prophecy. But Jesus did not give this, this message, this sermon on the Mount of Olives just to dazzle our, our minds with, with uh, the doctrine of the end times. Now, a lot, okay, you want to talk about some really wild doctrines that are out there. Just get into what's called eschatology. Esca means last, last things. So eschatology, ology would be study of. So the study of last things, people get some really whacked out ideas. And start saying, well, I believe he's going to come again on this date. Listen, you cannot set a date as to when Jesus is coming again, friend. You can't do it. You can't do it. The next thing that's got to happen is, the next thing, as I've already mentioned, on the prophetic calendar of God, is when, when Jesus comes again, there's a shout and there's the rapture, which if you're new to, new to the Bible, that means that's when everybody that's saved is called away, taken out of here. And then what happens is the tribulation period. Tribulation means trial and testing. And that's a lot of what we're reading about in here in the book of Matthew chapter number 24, the time of Jacob's trouble. Matthew 24, Matthew 25 is very Jewish focused. You have the reference to the Sabbath day. You have the reference to Judea. You have the reference to Daniel's prophecy. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to lose you here. We're going to take some weeks and months, to, not months, weeks <laughs> to work through this. But we do need to understand that this is focused on what, what the Lord would do setting up his kingdom. We also need to understand that a lot of this has to do with AD 70, what happened at Titus, but not exclusively that because there's going to be a greater tribulation than that. Listen, we can't say that everything's been fulfilled here. There's still things that are going to be fulfilled. So a lot of what we're looking at, a lot of what we're looking at right here is almost like when you're maybe hiking in the mountains sometimes, you think you've come to the peak of it, but then you get there and there's another peak. I think about Treasure Mountain in, in Colorado. There's like five false peaks, Brother Andrew. Am I right about that? About five false peaks. I mean, you've wore yourself out getting to the top of that peak. And you think, oh man, there it is. You get to that one, you think, oh no, there it is. And you get there and then there's another one. Then you get there and then there's another one. And then there and there's about five. There's another one. Well, a lot of misunderstanding about this text is because people try to make it fit the rapture and it doesn't fit the rapture. It fits his second coming in glory. So we've got to be real, real careful right here and not read into it what even we've heard in gospel songs. <laughs> Man, this is going to mess up some songs, but I did. I hate to do it, but it's going to mess up some songs. But we've got to be true to what God is saying right here. 
But some of the confusion comes when you, when you get into it, you got to decipher, okay, is this talking about AD 70, what happened there under Titus, or is this happening just in general? I'll never forget, I listened as a pastor in Missouri to Brother Sam's series. Some of you were here on the, all of that discourse. How many of you were here and you heard that series? Oh my soul, what a preaching time. If, if this goes totally south and you don't get my preaching, then listen to that. It was so helpful, but I remember one thing he said, great events cast their shadows before them. Great events cast their shadows before them. So just because we have earthquakes in diverse places and we have pestilence that's in our world and we have all these things that's going on, it sure seems like, come on now, let's just be honest about it as believers. It sure seems like the table's being set. It sure seems like things are lining up. It sure seems like it could be any day. Hey, by the way, that's how we ought to live. Like it could be any day because it could be any day. I love it. Uh, I watch as, as uh, every Sunday morning, I'm reminded of the rapture because uh, as, as uh, we have our offering, Brother Aaron Tatum comes up here and I, I forget if it's from here, Brother Aaron, but as you uh, receiving the offering, but when he, have you noticed this? When he steps down here, huh? Is this right, Brother Aaron? Is it this step? Okay. So when he's here, all right, all the men that are taking the offering are watching, okay? And when he takes this step here, then they begin to come forward. And then when he takes this step here, then they come forward to right here. Am I, am I doing it right? Am I, could I be an usher? No, probably not. <laughs> if I can't walk a step, I can't make an usher. Okay, so anyways, but what I'm saying is, look, look, when Jesus, when the trumpet sounds and the rapture happens, then that one event sets into motion all the other events. And then there's other events that send in the other events. Hey, listen, our God is a God of order. Our God is a God of structure. Things are not spiraling out of his control. Things are chaotic in our world from our vantage point. But listen, they're not chaotic from his vantage point. And he knows what's going on. And he's working behind the scenes. And Jesus, even right here in Matthew 24 and 25, he knows he's just two days away from having the, the time with his disciples at the Passover. And then he will be crucified. Hey, it looks like things are going good for Jesus. Sometimes it looks like things aren't going good for you. Going well to use good English, not going well for you. But listen, it does not matter how things look. You know who's the author of life and you know what the book says at the end and you know that we win. You may not be able to understand a lot about all that Bible prophecy says, but let me just boil it down to you for one, in one really easy phrase. He wins. And if you're saved today, then you're on his side and you can trust him. But let's get into the text here because his disciples were so impressed and they said, uh, they said, Lord, look at, look at these stones. You ever get all excited about something and then somebody just rains on your parade? I mean, you get all work, man, this is the greatest thing since peanut butter, which would have, was a great thing, you know? I mean, this is the greatest thing. And then, but then, you know, I, I mean, I could think about some specific situations like that, but I think we can all just generalize it this way that you get so excited about something, you tell it to somebody else, but then they have knowledge either about that person or about that, that company or about that church. Are you following me? Or about that event. And you may be excited about it, but you have knowledge that they don't. And you have to say, yes, but, huh? Right? Now, the, the stones of the temple, they were impressive. Josephus lived during the times of, of the, uh, the takeover there in AD 70, and he said that 
that people would come from all around the world. Hey, listen, while we were in Jerusalem, people were there from all around the world. They're still coming. Am I right, Brother Charlie? You've been there. They're still coming. I was amazed. People from Ethiopia and and people from Africa and people from Asia and I mean, all around the world. Well, no wonder he's a living savior that people are coming to see. Some are, but others are just religious. What I'm trying to say is that it was a, it was renowned in the world. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, right? Psalm 48 and, and talks about the splendor of, of Jerusalem and, and how that it's situated and it's the joy of the whole earth. It was magnificent. Josephus said it was like a, a mountain, a mount of, of, of like a snow covered mountain of marble and gold. It's magnificent. Again, I don't know what caused the disciples to say, Lord, would you look at these stones? I, I tend to think that maybe, maybe because of the confrontation with the Pharisees, chapter 21, 22, and 23, and even the Lord's words in chapter 23, I wish we had time to walk back through the latter part of it, but Jesus here is basically saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and sonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered you as a hen doth gather chicks, and ye would not. By the way, today God would save you if you would trust him as your savior. And so God, the Lord Jesus Christ would have, would have saved Jerusalem. And yet he says, I'm going to send prophets to you. This is the last part of chapter 23. I'm going to send preachers to you. I'm going to send prophets to you. And some of them you will stone and some of them you will kill. And, and, and so he knew what they would do. And he and the Jews had just had a major conflict. So maybe the disciples are saying, but Lord, look at these stones. I mean, this is magnificent. And truly it is when you see the size of those stones. While, while we were there on the southern end of the western wall. So you know the western wall, the wailing wall where the Jews pray. And it's the only place there that they believe God's presence is still there. Because it's the only thing that's lasted since AD 70. So they're there at that wall night and day praying. Others there praying, praying for Jerusalem, the peace of Jerusalem. But, but on the southern end of that western wall, the massive stones, stones definitely larger than our organ, maybe twice the size of the organ cut. It's astounding to me how they got them in there. I mean, in modern times, it would be quite a feat. Uh, anyways, but it was impressive. I can see why the disciples said, Lord, look at this. And that's when the Lord says, I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another of the temple. And, and listen, friend, that's exactly what happened. I don't mean to keep talking about our trip to Jerusalem, but I, I got to talk about our trip to Jerusalem. We, we were in the underground part there near the wall area and so forth, not under where the temple was, but anyways, off to the side of it. But the tunnel system that's there is incredible. But our tour guide, uh, one, of the, one of the individuals asked her, so how did the Romans destroy this building? And it was such massive stones. I wish I could paint in your mind's eye just how massive these stones were. How would they, I mean, they burned it, I get that, but how would they move those stones down? And the, and the young lady that was doing our tour, I'll never forget it, she said, the Jews believe that this must have been a supernatural judgment of God on Israel. It made sense to me. Well, it was a judgment of God on Israel. 
They had rejected their Messiah. They had crucified their Lord. And now their very temple, what they held as their pride was totally ransacked, totally burned with fire and burnt and taken down to the ground. It ought to remind us, we shouldn't get so impressed when God knows that something's under judgment. You said, now how does that relate to us as believers here today? Well, don't we get impressed with these things of this world? I said, don't we get impressed with them? But don't we get impressed with buildings? Hey, by the way, thank God for this beautiful building. Thank God for the renovation. Glad it's done. <laughs> the most significant thing that's going on here every Sunday and every Wednesday and so forth is not what kind of building this is, but what God's doing in the heart, dear friend. Let's never get impressed or, uh, you know, admiring, oh man, look at this, look at that, look at those pianos. I mean, they are beautiful and they cost a lot of money. <laughs> that's a great sound system. It's state of the art. It's an incredible sound system. We saw one of them walking down the road. Somebody took it. But anyways, we got another one. It's quite a story. Another day, another time. Brother Ted, you can tell it. All right. So anyways, impressive. Man, buildings, cars. I'll never forget being in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's preaching revival there, Brother John Vaught. Upper end, everything. Upper end, everything. I mean to tell you, McLarens, almost every other car, and Teslas, and, and, and the boys were saying, Dad, did you see that? And, wow, look at that. There's a Corvette. Wow, got my attention. Anyways, I mean, like just there, like, like our Corollas, our Camrys, or, or whatever. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not insulting anybody. I'm just simply saying they're just these high dollar upper end cars that were just common. We get impressed with that. Have you seen the new model of the Tundra that's come out? Have you seen the 2024 model of the Tacoma that's coming out? Oh, my soul, man, it just looks so impressive. We get so impressive with stuff and things. And the Bible says, and Brother David's going to read here at the end of the service, that all of that eventually is going to burn up with fire of a fervent heat because God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And yet we get so impressed with that which is ultimately marked for judgment. And you can pour your whole life into a career, your whole life into, into things and money and possessions and, and, and enjoyment. And thank God there's so many things to enjoy, so many recreational things to enjoy. But listen, you better keep those in the right place, dear friend, because they're not eternal. They're only temporary. And you and I need to live our lives for things more than just what's temporary. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. Lord, when is all this going to happen? They asked three questions. Aren't you glad this morning? One point I wanted to make with you here today is just this. Aren't you glad our God is willing for us to come to him with questions? Amen. Lord, when shall this be? What would you ask? I'd want to know. When, when is that going to happen? I mean, you're talking about Jerusalem, the city of God. You're talking about the temple that, that was built and is such a major part of our, of our faith. When is that going to happen? And, and, and then what is the sign of your coming? They believed in a literal coming. They believed in a literal kingdom. They did not believe in a spiritual kingdom that's in the heart. No, they believed in a literal kingdom that he would set up. We're just solving all kinds of theological issues here today. And so they believed in a literal kingdom and they believed that things would not last forever and ever. You know, it's good for us to remember that. They believed there would be an end of the age. So they wanted to know all these questions. When you ask God questions, here's what I saw in the text. He basically responds in these three ways. He gives you his perspective. He gives you warnings. And then he gives you a life mission to carry out. 
I thought about that. Would you with me? Just a few seconds. No, no, no. A few minutes. <clears throat> a few hours. You got questions for God? Maybe you came here today and it was questions about eschatology. That sounds so technical. What's going to happen in the end? How's this all going to happen? Maybe you got questions like that. I've got questions like that. By the way, I don't know that we're ever going to have all of our questions answered. For sure I know we're not going to have them answered this side. When's all this going to happen, Lord? Maybe you got questions like that. But to be honest, that might be a small percentage of those that came here today. It may be that you've got questions like this. How are we going to make this marriage work anyways? How am I going to raise these kids in this society? That's a very valid question, right? How are we going to work this out? What am I going to do when I get back to work on Monday? How's this going to work out within our family? You got questions like that. Am I right? How am I going to overcome this? I mean, this vice that is, that is just controlled my life for so long, this, this either drinking or sexual sin or perversion, or, and you know it's not right, and you're a believer, and yet you just keep going back to it. God, how can I do that? Well, you know what God's going to do? He's going to give you a perspective. He's going to give you some serious warnings, and he's going to give you a life mission to carry out. It really works that way. I don't think that that's necessarily the main thing that the author's wanting us to get. I'm just trying to point it out that it's quite significant that Jesus very compassionately, very lovingly, from that very great vantage point on the Mount of Olives says, well, okay, let me talk to you about this. And let me give you, some, let me give you a, a perspective. He already did that. You're so impressed with this, but let me tell you it's marked for judgment. Okay, you know, sometimes we just need God to give us a reality check. Some of the things that we think are so important are not as important as they are to God. And we need his perspective on it. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about the things of your life. No, he does. But you know, we need a bigger perspective because sometimes we get so focused just right here. And we need him to lift up our eyes and, say, and see around us. <clears throat> so we need perspective. And then we need caution. And that's where he says, beware, men are going to come in my name and say that they're the Christ. It happens to this day. It happens to this day. So that, that, this is where you're going to see how some of this happened maybe before 87, not, not all of that. You're going to see that how that a lot of it has happened since that time, for sure, happened in our day and time. And then you're going to see, especially as the Antichrist comes in the book of Revelation, you're going to see some major fulfillment of this chapter. So all this is working together and God can sort it out. In fact, this is much more pastoral from Jesus to his disciples than theological in the sense of just trying to dazzle them. He's really trying to, are you listening to me here still? He's really trying to help them to know how to live after he's gone. Not just to help them pass their next theological eschatology exam. Though we need to know eschatology and it matters. A pre-tribulational rapture matters. A premillennial uh, coming of Jesus at the second coming, that matters. So we're not backing down on that. But at the end of the day, what you need is this. You know you need him to endure the next day and today. Beware, men will come. There'll be false teachers, false prophets. Be aware of this. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Boy, have we seen that. Russia, Ukraine, 
all around the globe, wars that have taken place back into the time of World War I, World War II, and then Korea, and then the Vietnam War, and then into our time of the Persian Gulf and so forth. There have been wars and rumors of wars, and there have been earthquakes in diverse places, yea, even Oklahoma. All these are preliminary. All these are indicating of something that is to come. Jesus said, Jesus said, in fact, some of these would certainly be applied in that either the first period of, of the tribulation period or the second half, the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. It certainly would apply there. We're going to see that as we get into it. But nonetheless, he's saying there's going to be all these things taking place. But mind you of this, these are the beginning of sorrows. Literally birth pains. When a lady's about to have a child, obviously, then she goes into labor. And there's pain, obviously, associated with that. But she goes into that because there's a child to be born. You know what Jesus is doing as an illustration? He's saying the whole earth is going to be in a time and is in a time of labor and travail. Because watch this, when he comes again, his kingdom shall be born. Do you see it? This is the beginning of sorrows. These things have to happen. So beloved, as you watch the news, don't be anxious. Just rest. God's in charge. <clears throat> There's going to be disease. We live in a fallen world. There's going to be pestilences. There's going to be famines. There's going to be natural disasters. There's going to be tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires. All these things are taking place and will continue to take place until he sets up his kingdom. So don't be, a, don't be surprised. People are going to be born with birth defects. People are going to get diseases now. We live in a fallen world the whole creation groans and travails in pain together till now. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there's a king who's sitting on the throne. And he had a discussion with his disciples and said to them, listen, you be aware of this and that and don't be alarmed when this happens because I am coming again. And until then, you be faithful. Faithful to the cross. Until then, you preach the gospel. Get the word out. Southwest Baptist Church, I don't know how much time we have left, but with the time that we have, let us be earnest with the gospel and sharing it with people that need to know. Because when they die without Christ, they have no more hope. The gospel. The good news that Jesus died in your place. The good news that he was buried, but the good news that he rose again and is able to save you if you trust him. I've talked this morning about, preached this morning about the end times. If you're not saved, friend, listen, you need to listen to me very, very carefully right here. You're not ready. And the fact that Jesus preached so solidly and strongly about even the destruction of Jerusalem was about the, the serious nature of the wrath of God on our sin... You listen to some people and they'll say, man, some of those preachers, they're not with the times because, you know, they, they preach hard against sin. Man, they need to loosen up a little bit. 
has God. We may be out of steps with the times, but I want to be in step with His holiness. And you need to understand that your sin is a serious matter before God. So serious that it took His Son to the cross to die in your place. So serious that you must be forgiven only through that blood. And thank God you can be saved. In fact, I love what Paul said in, in 1 Thessalonians, that we are saved from wrath through Him. And that wrath he's talking about there in 1 Thessalonians in its context is the wrath that comes in the end times, meaning this, we never go into the tribulation. Praise His holy name. Never see hell. Never cast in the lake of fire. Never to stand at the great white throne judgment. But listen, friend, if you're not saved today, that's where you're headed. But if you trust Him this morning as your Savior, you'd be saved and saved forever. Will you trust Him? Trust Him today. And those of you that are believers, if you're impressed and mesmerized by this, the things of this world, hey, you know what? We need to lift up our eyes and look and see. He's coming again. We better live for the right things. Father, today I thank you. I thank you in Jesus' name that you spoke to your disciples like this and you helped them to understand the great conflict of the ages that's taken place. It's much bigger than we are. We don't even begin to understand all the things that are moving and that are in place. And we could be impressed with that which is marked for judgment and live for things that are so temporary. I pray, dear God, today that you'd help each of us as believers to give our lives to that which is eternal and that which has your favor upon it, dear God. Help us, dear Lord. Where there's been materialism, would you please uh, forgive and help us, Lord, not to live for material things. God, where there's been anxiety and fear and worry, maybe about things that are going on in the world, but maybe about things that are happening even in our own individual lives, would you help us to come back to simple faith and trust in who you are? And would you most certainly, God, help those that are not saved today to trust you as their Savior and to be eternally saved? In Jesus' name, amen.